This episode is brought to you by Genesis Aerosystems, a Moog company and leading provider of autopilots for rotor and fixed-wing aircraft. The Genesis STEC 3100 Digital Autopilot provides increased safety, decreased pilot workload, and is approved for over 200 makes and models. To learn more about the STEC 3100, visit genesis-aerosystems.com. That's genesis-aerosystems.com. AOPA presents Never Again, true pilot stories from the world of general aviation. In this episode, flight safety is compromised by a moose carcass. Check the air in those Tundra tires and join us for Shifting Loads and Sheet Metal Screws by Mark Owen. The middle of September is a busy time for folks involved in hunting of big game animals. My younger brother, a registered guide, was running a guided moose and caribou hunting operation near the head of the Squirrel River northeast of Kotzebue, Alaska. I was working with him as an assistant guide, called upon to do whatever might be needed, including getting supplies by air from town, moving meat from place to place, slogging along on foot with hunters, packing water, and gathering wood. Our base camp was located 600 feet vertically and a quarter mile horizontally to the east of a barren rock spall-covered ridge. We used a portion of this ridge as our primary airstrip. Its touchdown elevation was about 1,200 feet MSL, with a rollout uphill to a point about 25 feet higher and 600 feet distant, where the ridge rises more steeply. At the upper end, we had piled larger rocks into tie-down cairns for use overnight, perpendicular to the ridge and facing the prevailing crosswinds. We were using several other nearby locations as spike camps for our hunters and their assigned guides. These were all within about a five-mile radius of the base camp at various elevations below 2,200 feet MSL. Each had a short landing and takeoff track marked with various materials such as skulls, shed antlers, and rocks. The length of the track was suitable for a fully loaded Piper Super Cub or a lightly loaded maul. One of my chores was to extract a bull moose carcass from a spike camp we called Banana, because of the shape of the usable landing area in the tundra next to the camp. The track was one way, leading more or less to the north on one side of a ridge and rolling out uphill to the left to stop abeam the camp. Takeoffs were from that position, ahead while turning left and then finally off the other side of the ridge. Since the typical flights to the spike camps were very short and I wanted maximum cargo capacity, I typically carried seven gallons for the 1968 Piper Super Cub's 160-horsepower Lycoming. This aircraft had been refurbished to include all sorts of modifications, including vortex generators, bush wheels, and the rear stick removed with the stub covered by a sheet metal box. This last item turned out to be of critical interest. I took off downhill from the base camp, turning into the wind, and taking advantage of the ridge lift. I was soon climbing up the drainage with full flaps out while descending relative to the ground level and paralleling the terrain on a line to the touchdown point marked with a caribou skull. I landed on the rising terrain, retracted the flaps, and maintained sufficient power to climb the hill to the camp. There I loaded the moose meat into the cub. Typical hinds are about 150 pounds, 
and fronts are about 100 pounds. With this being a light cub, it was feasible to pack in a couple of fronts and a hind in one load. The hard part was wrestling the chunks into position with the foot ends pointing aft and the mass of meat forward to keep most of the weight as far forward as possible. I stuck a hind quarter in first and then topped it off with a couple front quarters. Adding my 170 pounds and the five gallons of fuel I had left would leave me in good shape from a weight and balance point of view. Before climbing in, I took a few minutes to walk the length of the takeoff track, looking it over for holes, obstructions, rocks, and such, reviewing the landmarks and lines I needed to pay attention to during takeoff, and sniffing the wind for its variability and speed. It would be six or seven knots with an easterly right crosswind component as I came off the ridge. I crawled into the pilot's seat, strapped in, shut the doors, and started up. For an off-airport takeoff, you apply full power and then fly the tail using forward stick to balance on the main wheels. Once the airplane is rolling sufficiently, you pull on full flaps to get airborne as soon as practical. But in between the beginning of the takeoff roll and the getting airborne part, you get bounced and beat around quite a bit. This takeoff was no exception, and just after I broke ground in a fairly flat attitude with the terrain falling away below me, I noticed the stick had become nearly immovable. I couldn't get much deflection on either axis, roll or pitch, maybe an inch in any direction. At least there wasn't anything immediately in front of me to worry about yet. After experimenting for a few seconds, I looked in the back seat. The entire pile of meat had shifted forward, and the lowest layer had pushed the cover box off the rear control stick stub, and then settled itself down over the stub to form a nice tight grip on it. So now, while flying along at about 75 miles an hour with the machine trimmed for only its present power and flap configuration, I had to attempt to shift a large mass of meat and bone enough to get sufficient aileron and elevator authority to control my flight path and land at the base camp. This is not easy to do, since cubs are hands-on flyers. After several fatiguing minutes with one hand on the stick and the other hand behind the seat lifting and shoving at the pile of meat, I had managed to shift it sufficiently to obtain enough stick travel to make it work. Hopefully. I didn't have the luxury of a great deal of reserve fuel, so I couldn't fiddle around with the problem for very long. By now, I was able to fly a series of wide turns, putting me into alignment with the base camp landing strip, and I was already at the necessary altitude for its touchdown point. The landing wasn't anything special since the wind was still easterly at six to seven knots. Had it gotten gusty, increased in velocity, or gotten variable, I would have been in trouble. While unloading the meat pile, I determined what had happened besides the load shifting. The stick cover box had been held in place with sheet metal screws and tinnerman nuts, which, through a long series of rough takeoffs and landings, had shaken themselves out and allowed the cover box to be pushed off the rear stick hub. This prompted me to think about such little details as missing screws during pre-flight inspections, and further, about some better means of securing movable loads in the cargo spaces. Off-airport operations are inherently risky, but attention to details, both large and small, can mitigate the risk. 
The Never Again Podcast is brought to you monthly by AOPA, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association. You can find more Never Again stories online at AOPA.org by typing Never Again into the search box. While you're there, check out AOPA's mobile flight planning app, AOPA Go, as well as the many free training and safety courses from the Air Safety Institute. Find all of this and more at AOPA.org. The Never Again podcast is produced by Royce Earl. Thanks for listening. Fly safely. Fly safely.